Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Derek, and I'm one of the pastors here at Third. The last couple months, we have been working our way through a series called Disruptive Grace. And what we've been doing is we've been studying intently the book of Jonah to, to see together what do we learn about the nature of God's grace. And we've learned a lot together. We've learned that it is disruptive. We mean by that, that grace seeks us, it pursues us, and at the same time, it challenges us. It confronts us. It can overturn parts of our lives. The grace of God, it meets us right where we are, but it doesn't leave us there. And that's just another way of saying that God's grace renews us and it transforms us. This week, we are looking at chapter four. This is our last week in the book of Jonah. And we have taken two weeks to study this text because the lion's share of the good stuff in the book of Jonah actually comes to fruition in chapter four. Last week, Corey examined how do we create and discover and recover in ourselves hearts that are like God's heart, right? How do we get a heart like God's? This week, we're going to find that God himself is actually inviting all of us through the end of this chapter to join him in his life of mission, to receive anew his identity as the missionary God and your identity as his missionary people. So why don't you pray with me as we turn to the scriptures together? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you. Triune God of love and mission, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your word, that you would speak so clearly to us, God, that we would hear and be changed. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I am reading specifically verses 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. This is the word of the Lord. It might surprise you to know that the, uh, most people outside of the church believe that the average Christian is a lot like Jonah. A few years ago, one of my friends, Jamie Cabe, gave me this book, uh, Unchristian, Loved it. Um, it's written by David Kinneman and uh, Gabe Lyons. And it, it's, um, it's an impactful book because it's a book about the perception of Christianity amongst 16 to 29-year-olds who consider themselves outside the Christian faith. When participants were asked, what characteristic most describes Christianity? Do you know what they said? The number one characteristic. Christians are anti-homosexual. Not Jesus. Not the Bible. Not even Christmas. What this book discovered is that Christians are mainly known for what we are against. Anti-abortion, anti-homosexual, anti-Hollywood, except for Fox News, anti-media, anti-environment. We seem to be known, quote, in the broader culture, not for our love, but for what we are against. Isn't that sad? 
Like Jonah, we have become famous for what we oppose, not what we love, not what we're for. And if we are going to be a people this morning who do not commit the same sins that Israel committed and don't commit the same sins that Jonah committed, if we are going to be different, then we have to discover and to rediscover together what it was that Jonah had lost. So Jonah wasn't just self-righteous. He wasn't just idolatrous. What the end of Jonah 4 tells us is that he actually failed to grasp fundamental aspect of God's character and God's purpose. And so this morning, as we read the scripture together and as we unpack it, I want you to know that the God himself is here and he is inviting each and every one of you to rediscover that he is a missionary God and that you are his missionary people. Let's turn to the story. Uh, Chapter four ends with two questions, really two penetrating questions that God asks Jonah. And then it ends abruptly in a cliffhanger. But in these two short verses, we see a contrast of compassions. We see Jonah's love and we see God's love. Let's talk about Jonah first. It is very clear that Jonah is really concerned about this plant. The word concern here is, is, is really uh, compassion. It, uh, it's a word that carries with it a, a sense of grief. And so when God says that, that you had concern for the plant, really what you should hear is God saying you wept over this. When this plant died, it really grieved you, Jonah. Even though you didn't make it, I did that. Even though you were fine without it yesterday in your Armageddon shelter, right? Now, and now you suddenly need it. But despite both of those things, when it died, it actually broke your heart. And part of what God is doing in this passage is, is trying to tell Jonah, your compassion fails. Your compassion misses the point. Jonah, I have been so patient with you. I have been so gracious to you, and yet still you do not join me in my mission of love to the world. Chapter four is a giant object lesson in disruptive grace. God is just giving him comfort and then taking it away. Why? So that he will realize that the love God has poured out on him, he wants to pour out on Nineveh through Jonah. But Jonah cannot see it. In contrast to that, God is concerned with the people of Nineveh, 120,000 souls and many animals. And what we see in the text is it's really beautiful. All the things that God has been doing for Jonah over many chapters, he also is doing towards Nineveh. We see that God is patient with them, just like Jonah. Now, Nineveh has been referred to as wicked and corrupt. God refers to them how? They do not know their, their left hand from their right. That is the Bible's way of saying they are not evil. They are spiritually ignorant. That is a display of the God's patience with them. God is gracious to them, just like he's gracious to Noah. He sent Noah, his prophet, to deliver a message. And and, and they responded, they repented, and wrath was relented. And, And their condition, their brokenness, their distance from him broke God's heart. And what God is saying is that you have wept over this plant, 
But what breaks my heart, Jonah, are the lives of the people of this earth. And when he's done asking the question of Jonah, the story just ends. The curtain closes, fade to black. We don't get the end of the story. We don't get to hear Jonah's response. It's probably a good thing for Jonah. His responses have not been that great in chapter four. It's a literary device. Here, here, let me tell you what the author of Jonah is doing. When, when, when he ends a cliffhanger like that, he is throwing a question into the laps of the hearers. So Israel and, and us. And the question is this. You say you're my people. You're going to join me in my mission of love or not? The choice is yours. If we are to be a people who do not persist in the sins of Israel and Jonah, we have got to rediscover what they lost. And what is that? It's this. They had forgotten that the God of the Old Testament was the Lord of the nations and that he was a missionary God long before he ever called Israel to be a people. So let's look at this together. The God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. Many times in the Psalms, he's referred to as the Lord of creation or the Lord of the nations. I love how Numbers 16, 22 puts it. It says, he is the God of all flesh. Sometimes it reads, he is the God of the spirits of all flesh. When we think about the Old Testament sometimes as, oh, this is a book about Israel's history. And the God of the Old Testament is Israel's God. That could not be farther from the truth. And the reason why that can be confusing for us, one of my professors at seminary would always say, it's because the Old Testament does not begin with Abraham, it begins with Adam. It does not begin with covenant, it begins with creation. It does not begin with a chosen people, it begins with all people, humanity. So the mission of God has always been about a saving plan for humanity. And let's just, let's just look at these chapters really quick. We're just gonna skim through them. Genesis one and two. What happens in those chapters? God creates the world as good, and he creates human beings in his image. We're image bearers, dependent on him in relationship. Very good. And chapters 3 through 11 are what uh, Walt Kaiser calls three failures, or the, 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 the failing of humanity. And you see these three crucial failures. You see it in the fall from the garden. You see it in the flood. And then you see it in the falling tower of Babel. Sin spreads into the human story. But here it is what, what is beautiful in these chapters. At every moment of human failure, God moves. His grace is in action. He moves to save the peoples of the earth. He does it first through Adam's family, then through Shem's, and then in chapter 12 through Abraham. This is beautiful. What's happening here, these 11 chapters are a condensed history, a compressed history. I didn't know this until I was preparing for this week, but the first 10 chapters of the Bible, of the Old Testament, cover the same amount of time as the rest of the Old Testament does. Isn't that crazy? A huge span of time. And in that time, we start with one family and we end up by chapter 10 of Genesis with 70 nations. And so just in those 11 chapters, what you've heard is, is the story of human history, creation, 
human's failure, the spread of sin, and the saving act of God. All of this before Israel was a nation. All before they had made a covenant with God. The God of the Old Testament is a missionary God, and he has always borne in himself a saving love for all the nations and peoples of the earth. Now, in Genesis 12, yes, God does call Abraham. And he tells him, move to another land. He makes a series of promises with Abraham. I'm going to make your name great. Your descendants will be as numerous as the sands on the shore. I'll bless you, whoever blesses you. I'll curse whoever curses you. But the real beautiful thing in Genesis 12 is is, is verse 4, where we get to see for just a moment, like the very purpose of God. Why did God even call Abraham or call a nation out for himself? Why? That he might bless all the peoples of the earth through them. God's gracious response to a fallen world is always a sent people. God's gracious response to a fallen world is always a sent people. It is who he is. He's a missionary God and his people are missionary people. Now, one of the the tragedies of the Old Testament, the, the main tragedy in the Old Testament is that Israel keeps forgetting this over and over again. This is what Jonah forgot. This is what he lost and we need to recover. The election of Israel, hear this, the election of Israel did not mean the rejection of the world. The choosing of Israel was actually to make them the means of salvation to that world. They were to be the ones that the blessing and promises of God were to get to the rest of the nations. So fix that in your minds, church, that election is not a call to privilege. It's a call to mission. The God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. You'll you'll be glad to hear that the God of the New Testament is also a missionary God. What begins in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament through the promised Messiah and his people. Um, You could look at the New Testament as... um, an example of the extremes through which God will go to redeem his world, right? Genesis, uh, no, Galatians 3.8 is a, a, a really beautiful verse. It actually ties what we just talked about to what we're talking about now. It says this in Galatians 3.8, the scriptures saw in advance that there would be a gospel for Gentiles and the, it preached the gospel for beforehand. How, when, We read in Genesis 12 that all the nations shall be blessed by Israel. Paul's looking at this, that is the gospel being preached in advance. That is the blessing to the nations. That is the first time in the Bible that we we know that the Gentiles are going to receive the gospel. And what he's saying is this, this new thing God is doing in the church is, is the new people of God. And the blessings and the promises of Abraham have been fulfilled completely in Jesus. And this is ridiculous completely are in you, that you are the possessors of the blessings and the promises of God. And it is through you, church, that the nations, that Genesis 12 will be fulfilled. That you and I, we are God's missionary people. It is through us that the gospel will explode blessing and salvation and justice into the world. And so just like Israel, your election, church, Presbyterians, your election is not a call to privilege. 
It is a call to mission. I, I, I love how John 20, 21 puts this. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. This comes directly from our covenant partners, new handbook materials. Like this, this is how much we believe this at this church. We want this to get into the DNA of who we are, that fundamentally, that we are called to a missional identity as a church. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father to carry out his redemptive mission, so now Jesus sends every single one of us out to witness and to bear witness to what Jesus has done. And so in Jesus' mind, mission isn't an activity. It's not something that other people do or church programs do. Mission is an identity, the church's base identity. We are constantly people who are being sent by God. And we believe here that this is the time for us as a church to rediscover this core identity. And so the God of the Bible, (laughs) the God of the scriptures is a missionary God and his people are a missionary people. I have had the privilege of um, being a part of uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for about 13, 14 years before I came to third at the University of Virginia. And it was a place where I got to see a community receive and press into this missional identity. Now, we were, in a, we were in a rough place after four or five years. We didn't like each other. We didn't like other people. Jonah's a pretty good description of what we were like. You're pretty bad. It was, it was, it was a mess. I thought about quitting a few times. So um, in the midst of that, there were a group of students who discovered, we discovered this together. This, this is who God is, and this is who we're calling to be. And the, the, the first time that we did evangelism training after a group of students said, you know what, we're horrible at this, <laughs> but we believe it's true. Let's take some steps and figure it out. The first time that we did evangelism training um, after that shift had happened, uh, I had 20 students come to my office for this training. Now, the reason why it was in my office is because only two people had ever showed up before. So it was like, I didn't have any food for anybody. I was like, it's just going to be me and Bill and Jane. It'll be great. It'll be like three of us. Um, but no, like something was happening. They were pressing into this identity. And so I looked through the materials that Varsity had given us for that fall. And um, uh, unfortunately, I saw, I saw that the passage that we were studying was Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which is like the worst Bible study for evangelism training because that stuff never happens in real life, okay? So Philip is walking along the road and there's someone uh, just studying the scroll of Isaiah on like a, a carriage. And he like looks over to Philip and is like, who, who is Isaiah talking about? And, and then Philip is like, oh, that's Jesus. And the guy's like, well, I'd like to follow Jesus. And then he gets baptized and then Philip disappears. He like, teleports away. Yeah, it never happens ever, right? And so I knew UVA students that were like, they're going to be all over this. This stinks. And so uh, sure enough, as soon as we were done with the Bible study, the first question was, hey, Derek, why are we studying this passage? This is not going to happen. And I was like, oh, this is hard. We're, we're not going anywhere. Like, this is, like, we are not going to become a missional community. It was so rough. But, but you know what? I did what pastors do every time you don't know what to say. I was like, we should pray. Let's pray. <laughs> like, let's, let's talk to Jesus about this. I'm being a little funny there. I I, I seriously turn to prayer. Uh, Karl Barth says the most theological work, the greatest theological work is prayer. And so we prayed. We said, look, I I know this seems fantastical. Let's just ask that God would send us our own Ethiopian eunuch. 
And the following Wednesday at large group during worship, an Ethiopian eunuch showed up. Just kidding, that did not happen. (laughs) I told you it never happens, it never happens. That is not what happened. I'll tell you what happened, something better happened. During large group, my large group coordinator, during worship, Malia Seip goes out to get some water because she has a little break as the MC. And standing at the water fountain is a Chinese student named Shuran. Shuran says, what is that loud noise coming from that classroom? And Malia goes, that is worship. We're a Christian group. Um, and we, this is what we do. Sometimes we sing songs to, 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 to worship our God. And, and then Sharon goes, oh, that is wonderful. I was just wondering how I could become a Christian. <laughs> can I come into this? I mean, can I come into worship and listen, like, listen to songs and stuff with you? And then when, when it's done, could you tell me how to become a Christian? And uh, Malia's like, yes, yes, you can come. Yes, you can do that. And that is how Sharon met the Lord. And that is how our community became a missional community. Over the years, we've seen hundreds of people become Christians because this little group of 25 people pressed into this missional identity. We, we didn't know what we were doing, but we had to believe God is a missionary God. And we are as missionary people. We want to live into this together. Now, look, I, I don't know where you are as, as, as we talk about this. I, I, there are not a lot of us that are Jonah, thankfully, but some of us are. And maybe, maybe you're not sitting, maybe the distance between you and the lost, you and the wicked, you and the Ninevites, maybe that distance is not because of your judgment and self-hatred. Maybe, maybe that, that is because of your fear and your insecurity, your fear of rejection. Is it good for you to be angry? Is it good for you to be ruled by fear if God is talking to you instead of Jonah? Is it good for you to be so introverted that you can't spend time with others? This is a hard one. I'm married to an introvert. This is a real one. What do we do with that? If you're an introvert, how do you, how do you do mission? That's a whole other sermon for another time. But it is a real challenge. Our capacities are only so much. Like what, what do we do? How do I make space and margins to do this when I've only got a handful I can give to work or my kids? Where are you in this? Are you so busy that you can't find time to join God in his mission? Is your schedule so full? In what, in what ways is your life telling a different story than, than um, being about what you oppose or what you're against? So what do we do? What, what does it look like? I've got good news. Would you like some good news at this point? Anybody like some good news at this point? Okay, good. Yes, Good. Anybody who's read the book of Jonah once knows by the time you're done, you're like, uh, we need a better Jonah. Like this is, we need something, we need a better prophet. And here is the good news, that in Jesus Christ, we have a better Jonah. We have the true Jonah. There was another prophet who looked out over a great city, Jerusalem. But when he did that, he did not wait in righteous judgment for the wrath of God to fall on them. He wept. Why? Because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. What if that, what if that gripped our hearts? What if that's how we saw the lost and those who are farthest from God? They're sheep without a shepherd. And he didn't wait there in judgment. What did he do? He closed the distance. He dwelt in that great city. He proclaimed both the mercy and the judgment of God. And then he did what was ridiculous. He took upon himself the wickedness and the depravity and the sin of that city and of our world, even yours and mine. 
Praise God, we have a better Jonah. And it is Jesus, our true Jonah, that can, he can open our imagination to show us what the mission of God can be like in our lives. So if you take nothing away from today, how do you do this? You just open your Bible and you study how Jesus interacted. Uh, here, here's some of the things I hope that you'll see. One, you will see incarnation a lot. You will see that, that God, we, we want to move like God moves. That's the incarnation. We want to move towards those who are farthest from God the way that God moves. He closes the distance, right? He dwells. We want to move nearest to those who are farthest away. We should do this in community. <laughs> That's another part of that. Jesus never did this alone. You shouldn't either. It's a horrible idea. He had the community of the Trinity. He always did this with six to 11 to 12 disciples. It's about witnessing community. It's not about any one person. It is about us being a community together, participating in the mission of God. This is the vision of parish groups at their core. We are communities following Jesus into mission. This is what we long for. You can come to a parish group if you want to, if you want to figure out how to do this. One week a month for the next year, we are just spending devoted to figuring out how to engage our friends who don't know the Lord. You should dwell with uh, Jesus. Uh, the, the, the worst thing that Jesus ever did uh, that got him in the most trouble is that he dwelt and ate with sinners. How dare he? Pharisees always fighting him on this. This kind of incarnate, this incarnational movement, this moving like God moves, it should start in your home. I want to encourage you. Let it start in your home. The hospitality of God is, is exactly how you can close the distance. This is the heart of parish life as well. We want to see our homes, not as our possessions, not as our safe places, but tools where the saving love of God can, can push God's love into our neighborhoods and our neighbors' lives. Look, I'll be honest. We, we were, I, I was really bad at this before I got to third. I, I loved mission. It was my job. I would create missional communities on all these campuses but our life was so fragmented. I'm over here, Sue's in the neighborhood, our church is over here. I would come home and it was just my castle. I was like, the last thing I wanna do is I don't wanna to talk to anybody. I don't wanna to talk to anybody about Jesus. And so we developed this really unhealthy pattern where my wife was the witness at home and I was the witness at work. And we thought that it was good. It was horribly deforming for us. And, but we made it work. We didn't realize until we got here when all of those things were aligned, we're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Like, this is, this is what it can be like. This has been hard for us over the years. And it's going to be hard for you. But our homes should be a place where the hospitality of God leads the way. The other thing I want to encourage us to do is to, is to receive anew your, your missional identities. You can repent for, for that distance that we've been talking about. But receive anew your missional identity. Ask God to do it. I, I want to receive the truest thing about me is that, that I am your missional people. And then I want to encourage you just to act on it. Don't wait. Don't think about it. Don't read more books about it. <laughs> Start taking the risks and steps of faith. And here's why. This, this, is, this is why this is so important. Mission is meant to be the context of your discipleship. Jesus called people in the New Testament all the time. And I'll tell you what never happened. Let's spend the next week just sitting around and talking about God by ourselves. No. <laughs> Small moments. 95% of their time together was what? Doing mission together. 
That's the context of disciple. You get called to go into mission with Jesus. And here's, here is what, I, this is beautiful. Some of us, our relationship with the Lord is struggling because we're not engaging in mission. Like we're trying to grow without the primary engine of growth for the Christian life. Mission is the context of your discipleship. This, this happened in Jonah. If you notice, how did Jonah's heart slowly heal? How? In the context of mission. He was bad at it, right? He was really bad at it. So are we. And this is how we're formed. The mission and the journey forms us. Here's the last thing, I promise, last thing. Are you guys still with me? Are we good? Okay. God is a missionary God. We are as missionary people. I just, I want a, a reminder that um, it is God who is the evangelist. You are the witness. He is the one who draws. We see this all through the book of Jonah. God is the initiator. He is not in hiding. He can defend himself, I promise. <laughs> he can make himself known. He can close the distance. He closes the gap. He desires more than you do to make himself known to your friends, your families, your neighbors, the institutions that you are committed to. But he is the one who draws people. All he is asking you and I to do is to move like he moves in the world. Just be like your daddy. He draw nears to us, so we draw near to others. And I, I know how hard this can be. I, I, I am walking through this with many of you right now in our own lives together. I know that some of you can be so scared. I, I, I fear rejection more than most things. I'm with you. And you can feel so inadequate. And I have good news for you. You are totally inadequate. Somebody said to me a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, um, there, there, there's just so many people, Derek, that would be better at this mission thing than me. And I'm like, you're totally right. <laughs> like, yes, there are lots of people who be better than you. Lots of people will be better than me too. But here, here's what I need you to hear. Here's what I think God wants you to hear. Yes, there are many better people. Your friends, they don't have other people. <laughs> they don't have Francis Chan. They don't have Tim Keller. Even if you give them to them on a podcast, they have you. And in the mystery of God, that is the will of God. He can bear his love to them in a way that no one else can because it is you. And so I know, I know that this is scary, but I also know this. Every one of you has a story. Everybody in this room. Uh, you may say, uh, Derek, I don't know the Bible that well. I, I don't care. <laughs> you must, Derek, I've only been a Christian for like a, I don't care. Has God changed your life in any way? Yes? Then you're a witness. You've got something of value to share. I want to close with this quote as we bring this together. <laughs> the God of, of the scriptures is the Lord of all history. He's a missionary God, and we are his missionary people. And I'm going to end with a quote from one of my mentors, a missiologist named Peter Kuzmich. Listen close, church. This is beautiful. He says, hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. Faith is the courage to dance to it in the present. Isn't that great? To dance to it in the present. All God is asking you to do today, church, is to join him in the dance of love that he calls his mission to the world. And the scary thing is, the choice is yours. Let's pray. We confess today that you are the Lord of the nations. 
that all goodness and righteousness and love and justice dwell in you. And it is moments like today when I am comforted that the one who will judge me is the one who gave his life for me. Thank you, Jesus. The one whose eyes will lay me bare and expose all of my life in front of all creation at the judgment day is the same one who has gone to the cross, has suffered the penalty of my disobedience and has risen to new life and brought me through with him. And so God, we are gonna pray together now these prayers of repentance. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would allow our hearts to step and to beat in step with your heart for the lost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.